You may open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. I am so thankful to be a member in a church where we have so much Bible reading. I love those three passages that were read. Job 25, dominion and fear are before him. He maketh peace in his high places. He had rebels in his high places, but he cast them out of heaven. Lucifer, the anointed cherub of God, rebelled against the, the Lord God and said, I will be like the Most High. And God cast him out of heaven. Even the moon and the stars are not clean in his sight. Nothing is as holy as the Lord. Amen. I hope you enjoyed each of those passages. For those that may be listening to this sermon by way of audio tape or our website, why not turn it off right now and read Job 25, Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 26, and Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and have some of the preparatory Bible reading that we just had. I'm thankful to be in a church where we exalt the Word of God so much. Amen. We're not here for entertainment. We are here to be taught from God's Word what He has to say to us. Amen. The Bible tells us that in the perilous times of the last days, men would turn their ears away from hearing the truth and be turned unto fables. Right. We do not want fables. We do not want stories. We do not want testimonies. We really don't want anything but the Word of God. Amen. Because that is the foundation for our feet and our faith. That, that is what the Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. And so we want to read every word, we want to learn every word, if He'll be kind and merciful to us. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 17. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Excuse me, Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Amen. That is preaching the gospel. That is bringing peace and that is declaring good things. Thy God reigneth. No matter what circumstances you may face in your life at any time, Today, tomorrow, ten years from now, if Jesus Christ does not return, thy God reigneth, is the answer. He is sovereign over his entire creation. He is able and willing, and he does so, do anything he wishes with any of his creatures. He did not ask Job if Job was up for a trial. If Job would have known in advance what was coming... I hope Job would have said, no thanks, Lord, try someone else. But he didn't ask them. The Lord doesn't ask. He just brings them. And the first, the first line of defense is to say, God is greater than man. That is the five-word answer to the book of Job, found in Job 33 and verse 12, by the only man there who knew what he was talking about. And that was Elihu. God is greater than man, and he doesn't answer for any of his actions. And he's a wonderfully good God at the same time to those that are his. What a wonderful combination we have as our Heavenly Father. Brethren, if this verse tells us that 
we are to publish peace and bring good tidings of good, and that that publishing peace and bringing good tidings of good is the reigning power and sovereign might of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's what we want to do. So we're spending several weeks on this subject. Why? I want you to learn contentment, submission, and thankfulness to those with difficult circumstances in your life. You should remember at all times to be thankful for every good thing you have. Every good thing that you have or that has happened to you is because God chose it, purposed it, planned it, and executed it for you. Every evil thing that you have seen happen to others that has not happened to you yet, you should thank the God of heaven that He has not purposed, planned, or executed that for you. It should give us constant thanksgiving that the sovereign ruler of this universe has sat on His throne and said good things about what should happen in our lives. And when circumstances come that are not so pleasant... He chose them for His glory and your profit. That's a win-win situation. No matter what happens, we win and He wins. Because He did it for our good. We're His children. If bad things happen in our lives, it's His chastening mercy. It's a proof of His affection for us. We should rejoice. I want to teach you contentment and submission by thinking about the sovereignty of God. What you have to go through today, He chose for you. Your parents, your nation, your health, your body, your mind, your looks, your spouse, your job, your house. He chose those things. That is a set of circumstances that He could alter with a word. He's chosen them. Let's give Him thanks, submit to them, and be content. If the Lord had handed out a little sign-up sheet for life, Question number one, would you like to live? I don't know. We'd just say, could we, could, we see a, could we see a fast forward of what it's going to be like? You know, there'd be a lot of people in the world that would have checked off, uh, no thank you. Would you like to be somewhat attractive, somewhat ugly, very ugly, or very attractive? What would you have checked off? You selfish little thing. I speak to all of us. What would we have checked off? Very attractive. Intelligence. Would you like to be smart? Very smart? Stupid or stupider? We'd have checked off very smart. There were no, no such sheet handed out, was there? No sheet at all. Will you be balding by 40? No! You'd have written in there, No! Heart attack at 52? No. He didn't ask. No such sheet. The Lord reigneth. God is greater than man, and He doesn't answer for any of His actions. He chose everything for you. You weren't asked one thing about it. That is a being that we can hardly imagine. Everyone else in life We ask so many questions to make sure we even want to say yes. When our parents say to us, will you do a favor for me? What? 
You know, we're always asking, what's it going to be? The Lord didn't ask anything like that. He just gave. He just spoke. And this is what we are and this is what we have. And there is great comfort and peace in just knowing what I've just told you. That what I am and what I have. Yes, I wish I was a few inches taller. But do I really wish I was a few inches taller? If God made me the height I am, then I should be thankful for that. I should be content with that. I should submit to that. And I should use it to whatever advantage I can. God is greater than man. And He is our sovereign Lord. I want to teach you contentment, submission, and thankfulness. I want to teach you that anger or bitterness against God is entirely wrong. If you get angry or bitter against God about your parents, about whether God has closed up your womb or not, about your intelligence or ability, about anything that happens in your life, about your health, all of it, God controls and He made a choice. He is God. He is the potter and we are the clay, which the Bible tells us in both Testaments. That is a very humbling thing for us to be mud in a bucket that He puts on a spinning wheel where He can make one vessel to honor and another vessel to dishonor. He makes crack addict babies. But I know one thing about Him as a potter. He has never made a single mistake. And everything is to His honor and glory, and we do not question Him. He makes vessels of honor, and He makes vessels of dishonor. Naturally speaking and spiritually speaking. He is the holy God of heaven. And we do not get angry or bitter, no matter what his choice might be. I know what you're, you're thinking about that. I hope you think about everything you read about in life, everything you see in life, and realize God chose that. Right. You say, I feel sorry for that little baby. There's a Father in heaven that knows more about mercy and pity than you'll ever have. Amen. Huh. You feel sorry for it. Your poor children aren't a whole lot better off in comparison to what He's able to do. Don't ever forget that in the Garden of Eden we all had a wonderful choice in a wonderful representative named Adam. Don't ever forget that there were, there were parents that were old enough to conceive a child that have a responsibility for that child. There's many other factors that you need to think about, but they're not even important. The real factor that is important is God is greater than man. Amen. And He doesn't answer for any of these things, right. especially to us. He answers to himself, and do you know what his answer always is? It is perfectly holy, just, and righteous, everything that he has ever done. Don't you ever get angry or bitter against God about anything. I want you to learn total dependence on the Lord as an infinite protector and provider who is able to do for you everything that you'll ever need. I want you to have proper peace and perspective for analyzing evil in the world. What happened on the Virginia Tech campus shouldn't alarm us as Christians. We believe God was entirely in control of the whole event. 172 bullets shot in that one classroom building. Every bullet found its mark that God had ordained for it. That was not an accident in the sight of God. God was not wringing His hands in heaven. You say, but that was such a terrible thing. Listen, we all deserve a whole lot worse than that. We deserve to be in hell. He is merciful. Every bullet that missed... God caused it to miss. And He missed with a lot of them. Every bullet that found a mark, He found the proper mark. You do not know the millions of circumstances affecting each person's life. They can be taken in all sorts of accidents. And that was an accident as far as they were concerned. We have automobile accidents. We have plane accidents. All is under His control. And it gives us peace 
and a proper perspective of the world, we don't get alarmed. The Lord reigneth. Madmen with guns are not in control. The Lord reigneth. Fidel Castro isn't in control. The Lord reigneth. The Lord reigneth. I want you to learn the proper doctrine of salvation because God is not trying to save any. God will save all that He intended to save because that is what the Bible teaches. There's no verse in the Bible that says God is wringing His hands in heaven over those that He could not save. Jesus will say very clearly in John chapter 6, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That is the Lord reigning. And by His precious and glorious grace, and for nothing in us, we are here this day to worship Him. He has given us a heart to come and worship Him. He has given us a place to come and worship Him. And we want to understand that and humble ourselves before it. I want you to learn godly fear from this intimidating aspect of God's nature. The Bible says, stand in awe and sin not. And I've already quoted you Luke 12, 4 and 5 that tell us that we ought to fear Him who can cast body and soul into hell. That's what Jesus taught His disciples. Yes, they rested on His bosom at supper, but He also told them that. That there's nothing in this world that we ought to fear except the displeasure of God our Father. That's the greatest fear we ought to ever have. And we want to learn humility. Whatever we have, whatever we are, God gave to us, and so there should be no boasting at all from any of us. Even if you are exceedingly gifted in some measure, God gave that to you. He gets all the praise and thanksgiving. You should take none of it. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we are not talking about His omnipotence. Omnipotence is the power to do anything. Sovereignty is the exercise of the choice to do whatever He chooses with His creatures. It's a huge difference. It's easy for men to get excited about the omnipotence of God because God can do anything. It's harder for them to get excited about the fact that God has the right and the authority to do whatever He wishes with you. You're the clay and He is the potter. I am the clay, He is the potter. We believe, we defend, and we preach the sovereignty of God because the Bible, and God through the Bible, claims dominion and sovereignty over all other beings and objects in the universe. The Bible says He has dominion. We had it read to us from Job chapter 25. Dominion and fear are before Him. That's just one verse of many. His kingdom is over all. He is a king. He is a great king. And He reigns over all. He rules over all. He is independent of all other creatures. Of all creatures. No one can restrain Him or stop Him. No one can question Him or instruct Him. He is the God of heaven. He's the God of the Bible. We worship, we believe and read the Word of God in order to discover and learn more about the God of the Word. The God that we have right here and no other God. We are not interested in the speculations or philosophizing about sentimental women or seminary trained men. We want God's Word and what it says about the God that created us. And He is sovereign. And it's a wonderful subject to learn. Look at Exodus chapter 34. Let's remind ourselves of a few things. Exodus chapter 34. We've been to this verse, but I want to go to it again and show you the contrast of what sovereignty means. Exodus 34, 24. The men of Israel were asked, commanded by God, 
to worship Him in a centralized place three times a year. During that time, their property would be exposed to the ambitions and covetousness and greed of foreign neighbors. All the men would disappear three times a year. God promised this. Verse 24, For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. So from this verse, we are able to learn and we see God can control the desires of a man's heart. A man that has no fear of God, all he wants to do is steal. God can restrain that desire three times a year so that the nations around Israel would not come in to their unprotected borders and steal property while they were worshiping Him in a central place. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. God can restrain your desires. And that is a prayer that we ought to have, and it's been prayed today. That God would hold us back from sin. Is He able to do that? Did Abimelech, King Abimelech, of the Philistines, take Abraham's wife? Did he take her into his harem? Could he touch her? No. Because God can restrain a man. Did God let David touch Bathsheba? Yes, God can let a man go. We want to pray that God will restrain us. That doesn't mean that we wait for God to do it. We want to hate sin. We want to hate the sin of adultery. We want to start with it in our hearts by hating it. But we want to beg God to have mercy upon us and hold us back from iniquity. Didn't David pray in Psalm 19, Keep thy servant back from presumptuous sins. Keep thy servant back. Because we are so weak, stubborn, rebellious, and wicked in our hearts. So we pray for God to do it. And we can see verses that teach us God is able to do it. And we see examples of men praying such prayers. The most important thing for you to pray is not for you to have a bigger paycheck and a nicer car. The more important things for you to pray are for you to have a holy life and God to restrain you from sinning. We saw that God can restrain nations so that they would not come and steal property from Israel. Now we go to Joshua chapter 11 and verse 20. Here's another statement about nations that were around Israel. Joshua 11:20, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that He might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that He might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. What a contrast. Look at Exodus 34:24. They would lose their desire. God would restrain it so that they wouldn't go attack Israel. Then there were nations, when those men were not worshiping God, that God would harden their hearts and they would come against Israel in battle for Israel to destroy them because that was God's intent to destroy them. Man, woman, child, suckling, ass, ox, everything they had. Seven nations greater and mightier than Israel. They wiped them out of the land of Canaan. The 50 cities that they overthrew and wiped out every single inhabitant is listed in the Bible. God could restrain them. God could harden them. And that's omnipotence. The ability to restrain a heart or the ability to harden a heart. Sovereignty is the choice to do it. To restrain it in one case, to harden it in another case. That is His sovereign might. If you, this morning, are here with a sincere heart and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, 
It is by His sovereign word that you do that. There is nothing inside you that would ever do that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is beyond our comprehension how evil we are. If you're here this morning with a sincere heart, God has already issued a decree on your behalf. Praise His glorious name. The Lord reigneth. If you were allowed to get yourself into a mess through a sin, the God of heaven lets you do that. He could have restrained you. He could have stopped that. Listen, there's a billion different ways He could have stopped it. A billion. He allowed all billion to play together for you to make a fool of yourself or for me to make a fool of myself. He gets glory from it no matter what. And it's for our profit if we'll humble ourselves under His mighty hand. Even though when we're in it, we can't see any profit in it at all. The differences among men are many and great. He chose to bless some and curse others. Some are vessels of honor and some are vessels of dishonor. He's God. We don't even question it. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 knew that we'd have some questions, knew that scorners would have questions. And he said, Thou wilt say then unto me, He already knows the questions are coming. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Did he say, Wait a minute, you didn't understand me. I wasn't being quite that extreme. You're taking me too far. No, he said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath that the potter power of the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Amen. That is the word of the Bible. Amen. And you all know that about your natural circumstances. You were not asked about your parents' ability, height, intelligence, coordination, or anything. You know, I can think back to being in junior high. Junior high is a terrible time of life. It's time for war ball in phys ed class. That's a good part of being in junior high. War ball. But you know, the phys ed instructor would line all the guys up. Pick two captains. And they'd start picking their teams. You know, they'd they'd want to know who gets to pick first. Because they would pick the most gifted athlete in the class. And he'd come over and stand behind his captain. Do all Some of you that went... Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And they're, they're reduced down, and it's getting down to 10, to 5, to 3, to 1. And there's someone there that can't play war ball. Can't throw it, doesn't have the coordination, doesn't have the strength. Where did all that come from? Right. Who made all those differences? And let me tell you something. You know what? The differences are about that much. Right. I'll tell you about someone that can throw a ball. The Lord threw this ball into space. And He spun it. And it's still spinning 6,000 years later. And it's still spinning at the same speed. It's not even slowing down. Did you know that tomorrow's not going to be any longer than yesterday because the earth is slowing down? Now that is someone that can throw a ball. It's 8,000 miles through. It's 24,000 miles around. And I don't know its cubic volume or its weight. You can go home and Google it. 
but he can throw a ball. You know the difference between those boys in that phys ed class is just that much. But who made that difference? Because you stand in that class, and if you have any pity in your heart, you feel sorry for the last few that are selected. God made those choices, and He made all of them. Right. And you're not going to change them. He is great and greatly to be praised. And we should humble ourselves before Him. Don't you ever make fun of anyone that cannot or does not do what you do because God made the difference, not you. And you do not know that that God does not have a greater place for Him than for you. Is it not my right to do what I will with mine own? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now do you like that a little bit better? When it comes to rewards in the kingdom of heaven, God doesn't follow your idea of who should get the first reward. Those ones that were hired at 6 a.m. in the morning and worked all 12 hours of the day, they had agreed with the Lord for a penny. What were they complaining about? They didn't like the fact that he wanted to pay someone else a penny. But brethren, you humble yourself to what God pays. You humble yourself to what he pays in this life and what he's going to pay in the next. Because he has a right to do what he will with his own. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 4. Every child should know this verse. Every one of us should know it. It answers the three great questions that men have asked or the four great questions men have asked. Is there a God? Where did all things come from? Where did evil come from? Who is this God? These great questions are all answered here in one verse, Proverbs 16.4. The Lord, meaning Jehovah God, hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. That is a foundational axiom of what we believe about the world, God, and the universe. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, taking the extreme example, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Men, Wicked men have been created by God for Himself, including the day of their judgment when God brings evil upon them, including the day when they exercise their foolish and wrathful heart and do something evil. God created them, but He is in total sovereign control of them, and they will be held accountable for every one of their actions. And there's a God in heaven that is able to do that. He can rule us while we do what we do with a willing heart and mind. God has never made any man sin. They sin with a great freedom and will of their own, full of rebellion. God has dominion over everything. We can read in the Bible how He could cure leprosy. He took leprosy away from Naaman in the Old Testament by Elisha. He took leprosy away from many in the nation of Israel by the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he could give leprosy. Do you remember Miriam getting leprosy? How long did that take? Right there on the spot. How about Gehazi? How about King Uzzah? When King Uzzah, a, a king that God had blessed as a king, thought that because God had blessed him so much, he had the liberty to go into the temple and offer sacrifice and incense to God. And the, the priest stood there and tried to stop him. And while he stood there and defied the priests of God, the leprosy rose right up in his face. The Lord can take it away. The Lord can give it. And that's an inanimate thing. That's a disease 
And the Lord's able to do it, and the Lord does do it. He can open a womb, and He can close a womb. Remember that Abimelech that I mentioned a little while ago? That Abimelech, his whole house, his whole harem, had their womb stopped. All the servants, no one could conceive a child in Philistia that was in the household of King Abimelech until he got rid of Sarah because he wasn't supposed to have her. And yet the Lord can open the womb of Leah because God saw that she was hated in comparison to Jacob's love for Rachel. So He opens the womb of Leah so that she has six boys, one right after another. Rachel, He stops up her womb. Not until a good while later. Remember when Rachel came to Jacob and said, Give me children or I'm going to die. I can't stand this, my sister having all the children. Remember, I'm prettier than she is. What did Jacob say? Am I in the stead of God? It wasn't up to Jacob. It was up to the Lord. It was up to the Lord. He speaks the word and a woman conceives. He speaks the word and a woman can't conceive. And it's not always for punishment. It's not always in judgment. It's not always for something wrong. It's for His glory. It's the same thing as the man born blind in John chapter 9. Was it because he had sinned or his parents had sinned? No, no. It was for the glory of God. Can you glorify God in something negative if you're a woman and you can't conceive? Can you glorify God in it? I'd keep on trying. And trust Him to bless the means. Use whatever means you can to a point and submit it to the Lord. All the facts of life are the same way. All the aspects of life are the same way. We think about animals. I see Elisha cursing 42 children in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord and two she-bears came out of the wood and tore 42 of them. You say, the Bible is so harsh, it's so violent. Do you like it or do you not like it? I hope you love it. If you don't love it, then you have a problem, not God's Bible. Those two little children were making fun of the prophet of God. They were calling him a bald head. God had made a choice that he was going to have a bald head. Those children were making fun of him having a bald head. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. That nation was profane at that point in time. If you go back and read first, the last part of First King and the first few chapters of Second Kings, you will discover how profane that nation was and they deserved what they got. They had not taught their children to respect the prophet because the parents didn't respect the prophet. The kings didn't respect the prophet like they should have. So two she-bears came out of the woods at the commandment of God. Cursed in the name of the Lord, God said, Go! And when two she-bears are told, Go! by the God of heaven, they came roaring out of that woods and tore up 42 children. Let PETA gnash with their teeth. I want to tell you something what the Bible teaches. PETA. People for the ethical treatment of animals. We should treat animals the way God told us to treat animals. And do you know what? He tells us to have dominion over them in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We are to have dominion over them. If you want to make piano keys out of their tusks, then go ahead and do so. If you want to wear their skin as your belt, then go ahead and do so. If you want their fur around your neck on the collar of a coat, then do so. If you want to race ostriches with saddles and riders, then do so. Oh yes, I've been hearing a lot about ostriches since I, since I mentioned that recently. Did you know that there's people in the world that race ostriches like horses? Can you imagine putting a saddle on an ostrich and saying, giddy up? 
You know, you know I, I, I just love learning about that, though. I did know about it, but I hadn't seen it or thought about it in a long time. And I'm taking you back and reminding you, the Bible says, when God made the ostrich, He deprived her of wisdom. He made a very stupid animal, and God knows she's stupid, and God said she's stupid in Job. But at the same time, he said, when she lifts herself up on high, she can outrun a horse. He gave her some speed because he didn't give her any brains. We're talking about PETA. PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals. How about people for the Bible treatment of animals? While he told us to have dominion over them and we can use them any way we want to, do you know what? There are verses in the Bible that tell you that if you are in the woods and you find a mother bird on her nest with eggs, you may take the mother. Or, or young, not eggs, young. You may, it's young. If you take the mother, you have to leave the young. If you take the young, you have to leave the mother. You may not see a kid in his mother's milk. You may, God had all these little rules in the Bible because He does care. Right. He says that a merciful man does good even to his own beast. He takes care of his own beasts that work for him and serves him, and they serve him well. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. You let him eat while he's giving you food. The Bible has all that as well. He's a sovereign God, and he's taught us so many things. But let's talk about PETA. People for the ethical treatment of animals. God ordained the sacrifice system. Do you know what every family did once a year in Israel? They gathered the little boys and girls around and they took a lamb that was one year old. They took a one year old lamb that they had raised up and it was the best lamb in the flock. That lamb probably had a name. Those little children had played with that lamb for a year. They took that perfect male lamb that was without blemish and without spot and they cut its throat and they filled a bowl with its blood and they took a brush and they painted it over the doorway of their house. Then they roasted that whole thing in a fire. They did not cut its head off, and they did not cut its guts out. They roasted the whole thing in a fire with its head looking at them from the spit or hook or whatever they used to cook it with. You say, that is so cruel. What would Peter do if they heard that one? What would Peter do if we did that today on the church grounds? You know, we're not going to do that. But let's measure things by the Word of God, and God has sovereignty over animals. And that's what he told them to do. Do you know how many sacrifices there were made on the altars of Israel every single day, let alone multiplied by all the days in a year and the years that Israel was serving God with an altar? Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33, you're close by. 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Chance events, random events. You know, when we have computers, we have a thing called a random number generator. It's a program that's supposed to spit out a number that has no basis or meaning whatsoever. It is a purely random, by chance number. I don't care if you use a random number generator from a computer. The number that you end up with, if you're going to make a decision from it, has been chosen by the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Even the chance events in life. There is one dealer that knows every card in your hand every time you play. There is absolutely no reason in the Bible and there is no reason in nature to say that he doesn't get involved in such things because he gets involved in a sparrow flying from one branch to another.
If it falls, he is entire control of that. The Bible says, if the Lord will, we shall live and do the big things in life, or we shall live and do this or that, this or that. Whatever you do in life, you better say, if the Lord will, because you're not going to get it done unless he, unless he allows you to do it. And if He allows you to do it, He chose for you to do it. Look at Exodus 21 and verse 13. We've been here before. I know that. I have 15 pages, single-spaced, but I have got to lay a foundation so that you constantly are thinking. Everything you see today, tomorrow, this next week, everything you see, everything you read about in the paper, whether it's animals, chance events, inanimate matter, nations, politicians, kings, everything. You know, we could end up with our first female president in a couple of years. Do you know what we're going to have to submit to? The Lord reigneth. Hey, we deserve it. We're the one that came up with the idea of women's suffrage earlier last century. The Lord reigneth. He can accomplish whatever He wishes by her. It doesn't matter who's in the office. God's in a higher office. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8. Don't we find great comfort in that? If thou seest the perverting of justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for there is one higher than they. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 8. We do not worry about anything like that. We'll make the best choice we can if you participate in making that choice. If you don't participate in making that choice, God's still going to make the choice. And we'll submit to it. The Lord reigneth. We're talking about chance events just for a moment because there's chance events that affect us sometimes seriously. Exodus 21 and verse 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. That is murder in the first degree. That is premeditated murder. That is a presumptuous sin of taking another man's life. But look at the next verse. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. If a man accidentally kills another person, God had a system set up. Here was his system, and it would keep you honest on the roads. If you accidentally killed a man, that man's family could kill you as soon as they could get their hands on you. There were seven cities of refuge set up in Israel. Seven cities of refuge. If you accidentally killed a man, you were going to get on your motorcycle or whatever you had, your camel, and you were going to get to a city of refuge because if you didn't get there in time, then the relatives of that man had a right to kill you. That would keep everyone very careful on the job, very careful with cars, which are nothing but deadly weapons that we drive to and fro on our roads. But I want you to notice verse 13. It's talking about an accidental death. If a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand. Notice, there is no such thing as an accidental death in the government of God over this world. If God deliver him into his hand. If you're driving down the road and someone does something foolish in front of you and you were to kill them with a car, the Bible says, God delivered that man into your hands. You weren't intending to kill anyone, but God delivered him. I want you to notice that the government of God, and we're we're scratching the surface of all the verses, the government of God extends to everything. If some event like that happens, we submit to it as God's choice. God created the angels, all of them good. Some sinned. He cast them out of heaven. The ones that are left are called the holy and 
elect angels because God chose to keep them in their original condition, His servants. What about the ones that He allowed to sin and created as His own enemies? They can't do a thing without God giving them permission. Satan couldn't touch Job until the Lord said, Okay, I'll let you touch him this far, but you can't go any farther. A group of devils in the Gadarene were called legion because there were so many of them. They had to beg permission of Jesus Christ even to enter a herd of swine. Because Satan and his devils are nothing but stooges and servants of the Lord God still. They are accomplishing nothing but he, what he uses them for. And he's going to use them for the praise of his own glory and wrath and power when he gets judgment upon them and casts them into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Right. Look at Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. I have mentioned a young boy in a phys ed class unable to throw a ball well. Chosen last for a team in playing eighth grade war ball. Let's look at what the Bible says about such things. Isaiah 45 and verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Look at that exclamation point in your Bibles. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Don't you fight with God over whether you were or were not given ability in any area. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. If you want to argue and fight, you little broken piece of pottery, then why don't you argue and fight with other little broken pieces of pottery? But don't you dare call God in question. That's what potsherd is. It's a piece of broken pottery. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. Here's a man that doesn't have a coordinated hand, or an eighth grade boy that doesn't have a coordinated hand to play war ball well. The Bible says God made him that way, and it's not your place to question or fight against God. He has the right to do that, and God does do it. Can't you look around and see it everywhere you look? The enormous differences that God makes among men. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? That's blaming and criticizing your mother or your father because of the way you were born? What did they have to do with it? Nothing. God made all the differences. This is a man who doesn't know how to use his hands. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 31 and find a man that does know how to use his hands. Exodus chapter 31. Moses has a problem in this chapter. God has taken him up into the mountain and shown him the tabernacle. And as God zeroed in on the tabernacle and the altar and all that was pertaining to it, there was a lot of detail. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers to see all the detail of the tabernacle that God wanted to be worshipped in? Moses saw all that in a vision, and then God sent him back down the mountain and said, Build it. How would you like that assignment? Moses was overwhelmed. Moses was not a builder. That's one thing he hadn't done in Egypt. He knew how to ride a chariot. He was learned and skilled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, but he didn't know how to build a tabernacle. And look what God does for him. Exodus chapter 31, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name 
Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. See, I have called. How did Moses know that God had called Bezalel? Because it was obvious this man was gifted in the nation of Israel to do all these things. And if you were to keep on reading, there were some other men as well that God had put into them the ability to do those things. We, now we know that. We're born either with ability or we're not. We don't have ability. Some of you are mathematically inclined and some are not. Some are linguistically inclined and some are not. Some are mechanically inclined like my wife and some are not like her husband. The Lord makes all those differences. You know, can you imagine being a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, mechanically handicapped husband and coming home and finding my wife with the washing machine in a hundred pieces on the kitchen floor? I just tiptoed over it with my briefcase and went to my room because just looking at it scared me. Um, When I'm walking away, I don't... Well, sometimes I probably did discourage her by saying, you'll never get it back together to run. Because I couldn't get it back together to run. You know, if I pop a 9 volt out of a transistor radio back then, I couldn't get it back in to make it run. She'd get it working. God made all those differences. Some people can look at a mechanical thing and it doesn't move them a bit. They don't get discouraged. They don't get confused. If I can't solve it in the first 30 seconds, I'm out of there. Can't do it. I know, that's impatience. A different kind of impatience. Can I say that? Exodus 31. Look what the Lord did with Bezalel. What a difference. He can make someone without hands. He can make some without coordinated hands. Or he can make a man like Bezalel. Did you see the list of things? that? That's a resume. Would you like that man working on your house? Handyman. Able to do most small jobs able to do most large jobs, and then have that description from the God of heaven. God made that man. He's glorious in both. He's glorious in both. And maybe this man was first in line, and the man without hands was last in a particular line, and God's able to make the last first and the first last. Here's how sovereign God is. There's so many different ways of looking at this. There's so many. When God ordained marriage, marriage was not something that man came up with. Adam wasn't sitting around in the Garden of Eden thinking, you know, I'm kind of lonely. I've just named all, the, named all the beasts and none of them really turned me on. No, the Lord did it. The Lord did it. But how many women did the Lord bring to Adam? One. Does the Bible tell us that God had enough spirit in him that he could have created more? Could have created Eve and Evelyn and Eva for Adam? Yes. Malachi chapter 2 says he could have done it. But he didn't do it. He made one woman for one man. Now he didn't come down and ask Adam, did he? I'm about to make something that looks like this. How many do you want? He didn't do that. 
He made one. And he said, a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wives. Wife, singular. And they two shall be one flesh. And in Malachi chapter 2, he explains the reason why that that is the way to seek a godly seed. A godly family is going to be one husband, one wife committed to each other. And as we look through the Bible, we find out those men that tried more than one wife, what messed up families they had. It's, it's on the pages of Scripture. And I go through all that to tell you God is sovereign. You know, man would have had his own ideas, but God overruled man's ideas to give him a, a perfect plan for the human race. And we could go on and on and on. And God didn't ask. God didn't ask. And you know, there were kings of Israel and there were other men that wanted to bark against God's commandment. David. Abraham. Jacob. That violated that commandment. Look at the trouble they got themselves into. Solomon. Rehoboam. And others. But you know, while we're on the subject of spouses, and we've mentioned this before, can God provide a spouse when one is needed? When Isaac was 40 years old, his father sent a servant to find a woman, and he made the prayer, and while he was a-speaking, Rebekah appeared at the well. Isn't that a wonderful story? Amen. There's a great big long chapter in the Bible for you to know that God is sovereignly in control of being able to provide a spouse. We think of Rachel and Ruth and Abigail and others where God did the same thing. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Our God is sovereign over man in every single respect. God is able to cause someone to like you. How about Joseph down in Egypt? God is able to cause others to like you. Does the Bible say this? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Is the Lord able to make people like you? Does he ever do it? If he's able to do it, that means he's omnipotent. If he does do it, that means he's sovereign. Right. He directs their affections toward you. Joseph was sold as a slave down into Egypt. Did Potiphar like him? Yes. He had bought him. Did the Egyptians like the Hebrews? No. The Bible tells us that. But did Potiphar like Joseph? Indeed. He was falsely accused of rape, convicted, and thrown into prison. Did the keeper of the prison like Joseph? Yep. He did. Joseph found favor and grace in the eyes of the prison keeper because the Lord arranged that. And yet we could, I could turn you to Psalm 105 where it tells us that God turned the Egyptians to hate the Israelites because it was time for God to bring Israel out of Egypt. And it says in Psalm 105:25, God turned their hearts to hate His people. That's sovereign. That's comforting though, isn't it? You're not sure someone likes you? Well, pray about it and be nice. We're in Acts chapter 16. I want to show you the sovereignty of God. Have you ever heard the gospel preached? Has someone come to you and preached the gospel? And when you heard it, you said, I believe that. That is the truth. What if that man hadn't been sent to you? Look at this. The sending of preachers. The Bible says, how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Acts 16, verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia 
and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. That is Asia Minor, that is modern-day Turkey. Paul is heading from the east to the west. He can't go south. The Holy Spirit forbids him to turn left and go south. Verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. That's turning right and going north. But the Spirit suffered them not. Holy Spirit wouldn't let Paul go south, wouldn't let him go north, wouldn't let him go left or right. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. They're heading down to the sea. Troas is a seaport. They're going west. They weren't allowed to go left or right. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we, that is, including Luke, the writer of Acts, endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And you know, if you keep on reading, Lydia is found by a riverside by Paul. If Paul had turned left, he wouldn't have found Lydia. If he had turned right, he wouldn't have got to Lydia. But the Lord sent him straight west, across the water, out of Troas, into Philippi, a chief part of that part of, a chief city of the province of Macedonia. And he goes out to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made on the Sabbath day, and he meets Lydia. And the Lord opens her heart so that she attends to the things that were spoken by Paul. God sovereignly arranging a preacher to get to the right place at the right time for the right purpose and opening her heart so that a conversion results. Who else did he meet in that town? The jailer. The Philippian jailer and his house. Praise the Lord. The circumstances of that. And some of those circumstances were painful for Paul. Paul was stripped naked and beaten and cast into the innermost prison. But the Lord delivered him out of it, and the jailer was converted. Amen. He converted the jailer. Listen, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have a love of Jesus Christ in your heart, there's billions of people out there that have no regard for him at all. What in the world made the difference in your heart? I'll tell you what made the difference in Lydia's heart. Acts 16:14. it's right there. The Lord opened her heart. If the Lord doesn't open a heart, you will not attend to the things of the preaching of God's Word. Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. They're spiritually discerned. There's the sovereignty of God even extending into our practical phase of salvation and the conversion of Lydia, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. How shall they hear except they be sent? And God has to send them to the right place at the right time. Faithful men that will preach the Word of God. And we hear... And we're converted. Brethren, have you ever repented for your sins? If you have repented for your sins, it is peradventure that God granted you that repentance. Because Paul told Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will grant repentance under the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Right. It's by the grace of God. Let's give Him glory. He's been very, very merciful, gracious, and kind to us. Amen. Let's praise Him for everything that we have and are. Let's seek to serve Him better and to make His praise glorious. Right. May Jesus Christ be praised.